0: And this morning we will continue our journey through the book of Galatians. We'll be looking in Galatians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 6. Now as you're turning there, I just want to share that it must have been about 15 years ago. I, I received a phone call from a friend of mine and he said, Hey! I found a really inexpensive thing for us to go do. And I said, what's that? And he said, let's go golf. I said, you got the wrong thing. Golf's not cheap. He said, no, no, I I found this course for $15. It's a nine hole course and you can just keep playing. They don't even check your cart. They just let you keep on going through. And I said, okay. He said, you got clubs? I said, I do. He said, you ever played? I said, I haven't. And he said, good, me neither. And so we trekked out and decided to play golf. And I found out very quickly, it's hard to hit that little white ball straight. Sometimes it's hard to hit that little white ball at all. And if you know me, I'm a, I'm a bit of a competitive person, so after that first round, I started watching on YouTube and reading articles on all the ways that you were supposed to hit a golf ball, on how to better your swing, on how to become a pro in just 10 days. I had it all figured out. And then I became a difficult person to play with because any time somebody I was playing with would mishit the ball, I'd say, you want me to tell you what you did wrong? And the answer was always No. But I'd go, oh, well, you stood too close. Oh, well, you picked your head up. Oh, well, you stood up in the middle of your swing. Well, that's right where you were aimed. All of these things. And then imagine their shock as I lined up. And what did I do? Hit the exact same shot they just did. And they wanted to look at me and go, you want me to tell you what you did wrong? And some folks that have played with me will tell you that I'm still not a golfer. I play golf, but I'm not a golfer by any means. But I started to realize something, that I may never be the next Tiger Woods, but the beauty of golf is this. You hit a bad shot, there's always the next shot. You can get frustrated all you want, but there's always the next shot to do better. And as I started thinking about that, I started kind of thinking about what we're about to look at in Galatians and and this idea that so often, as we heard in Galatians 1, when we come into the faith, we're very quick to just want to soak it all in and and think we have it all figured out because of of a conversion moment at some point in our lives. And then the second somebody falls short, we want to look at them and go, you know what you did wrong? You know where you fell short? Let me tell you where. And then when we fall short, when, when we misstep, when we sin, we'll just call it what it is, and somebody says, you want me to tell you where you went wrong? Absolutely not. Let, let, let's focus on what you did wrong. I may have fallen short just like you did, but I want to focus on what you did wrong because I can tell you what you did wrong. That doesn't mean that I know how to do it better. And it becomes a moment in our our Christian faith that at some point we realize the beauty of the Christian journey is this, that when we fall short, there's always the next shot. The next shot is because of a gift of unmerited favor from Jesus Christ that we call grace. And so in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, it says, As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. And so Paul's going, hey, all those folks that wanted to tell you that they had it figured out, all those folks that presented real well, but weren't... Their heart wasn't right. He said, I'm not worried about that. They, they present in a great way, but it doesn't affect me. He says, On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had to the Jews. For God was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews and was at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so what he's pointing out to the people is this. I had a call on my life. My call was to minister to those people that were deemed unclean, unlovable, unacceptable, Those people that didn't grow up in the church, that may not have it all figured out. And he said, and then there's Peter, and his job was within the church. His job was to minister to those people that had it figured out, that knew better. And that's just a friendly reminder that sometimes we're called to different ideas of ministry. We're called to different avenues of ministry, but it does not negate our calling. Just because I'm called to fill a pulpit on Sunday morning does not make my role in God's kingdom any greater than your role wherever you find yourself throughout the week promoting and praying the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken world. And he goes on and he says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand the fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and they to the Jews. And they also asked that all we do is continue to remember the poor. The very thing that I was eager to do. And so basically what has happened is there's been a gentleman's agreement. They said, hey, we'll continue to minister in the church. You feel called to a different avenue of ministry. That's wonderful. Go forth in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Just don't lose sight of loving the lost and the least. And he says, that's the very thing that I was called to do. He goes on and says, but when Peter came to Antioch, this is, this is the kind, there's a shift that happens real quick because it goes from this gentleman's agreement to this. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. You may be saying, well, what did Peter do? Wait a minute, there was one thing that they were supposed to focus on, What what did Peter do? And it says, Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Pause. What did Peter do? What is Peter guilty of? This is what Peter is guilty of. He goes out into the world. He starts talking to those least and lost, those hurting and broken, those deemed unlovable by the church. Yet, when those church friends show up, he says, oh, who are you? I don't know you. I'm I'm over here. I'm with them. And he's playing both sides of the fence, if you will. And he's he's loving the least and the lost. But the second that it may shine poorly on him, he all of a sudden says, Oh, you know, I was just praying for him. I don't actually know him. I don't actually care for him. I don't actually know their story. And all of a sudden, what happens, even Barnabas, those within the church, those without the church, those that know better, see what's going on. And they see these members that would proclaim, oh, I don't know them, I just need to worry about my own folks. And all of a sudden, everybody buys into that same mentality. And it becomes an inclusion group. A group focused on self. And all of a sudden, there's this group outside of the walls, outside of the understanding that are going, wait a minute, we've, we've heard this good news. But what the church is proclaiming is that I have to agree with everything, I have to be a part of them in order to receive God's grace. And even Barnabas was led astray by this groupthink. He goes on he says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? I, I, I love that the fact that he, he points it out. He goes, hey, it would sound like this in our current culture, in our current climate. Hey, you're a Christian, but you're not really acting like one. Hey, you proclaim to be a follower of Christ, but you've kind of started following your own will and your own way. You've kind of started substituting things for your own betterment. You've kind of started shifting what the rules are to benefit yourself. And what it looks like in our world today, and I'll be the first to confess, I, I, I've shared this before, I can only preach from my own experience. And so if I preach something, you go, well, that's not me. I'm sorry, I can only preach from what I know. But, but there's this thing that so often can happen in faith. And the thing that happens in faith is when we fall short, when we miss the mark, we're just going to own it, when we, when we sin, we have a tendency to go, oh well, it's just a little mistake. Just a little white lie. I I I didn't mean to. It, 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 was, ah, it wasn't that big of a deal. And we can find ourselves justifying our sin. And if we don't justify, then we find ourselves believing this lie, that there is a hierarchy of sin that goes, yeah, I fell short, but you should have seen what my neighbor was doing. Theirs was worse. I'm better than them. And we can start treating the Christian faith as as an idea of keeping up with the Joneses as opposed to keeping up with Jesus. And that is a dangerous place to be. When we we believe the Christian faith is just a game of playing better than the other as opposed to following Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is pointing them to as he says, Peter, even you can't fulfill the law that you're trying to lure over people. And and what, what he's proclaiming is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not a one of us is perfect. And if that's shocking to you, I may need to repeat it again. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all in need of God's grace. Yet somehow when we look at the grace of Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, if we're playing keeping up with the Joneses, we can find ourselves saying, I'm more worthy of God's grace than they are. Yes, Jesus came and died for my sins, but there's not so much. And what I've started to realize as I go throughout my own Christian journey is this. That Jesus came and died for all people, and God is Lord of all creation. But the gift of grace is one offered to all people as well. And how do we accept the gift of grace? Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. We can try to make all the barriers that we want to, but here's the thing. I want to remind you when Jesus hanging on the cross and he has the person hanging next to him and he says, Forgive me, Father. What is Jesus' response? Oh, well, you didn't go to vacation Bible school. You missed a few worship services. You never understood the scriptures. You didn't go to synagogue. No, Jesus' response is this. Surely today you will be with me in paradise. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Jesus extends grace to all people. And John Wesley uses a term that I think we, can, that we sometimes lose sight of, which is called prevenient grace, which is what happens on the cross, where Jesus says, I came and lived and died and was rose again For all people, even before they knew they needed grace, even before they knew they had fallen short, even before they knew that they had strayed from my love and my path, I still died for them. That's good news. Because there are ways, I'm going to be honest, there are probably ways in my own life that I don't even realize that I'm straying from God's path for me, but God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for you. Some of us are sitting out there in pews today going, I don't even know how God can love me anymore because of what I've done in my life, because of who I've been, or what are the actions I've taken. And here's the good news. God's grace is sufficient for you. Period. If confession and repentance. And here's the good news. That there is no one beyond these four walls where God's grace is not sufficient for them either. We don't get to decide who's worthy of God's grace. We're called to be so full of God's grace that it just flows in our actions and our words into this world. And some of us would say, oh, but, preacher... You don't know what they did. Those actions that they did are unforgivable. The way in which they spoke, no, no, no. God, do you, you, preacher, do you know the lifestyle that they're living? And here's what I want you to hear this day. Each and every one of us is living a sinful lifestyle because we are sinners. Striving striving for the example of Jesus Christ. But what Paul points to today is this, is it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It is about entering into a relationship with God. What he's pointing Peter to is if you start trying to live by the law, as we talked about last week, that there's so many rules and regulations that even if you try to uphold them all by upholding this one, you may break this one. And so what he's calling us to is to engage in relationship. And as we engage in relationship, we begin to understand God more fully. We begin to proclaim the good news. I thought when I got married, I understood everything there was to know about my wife. I was wrong. I'm still learning things about my wife. And I'm learning things that I never thought I would ever understand, but in the same boat, as I begin to understand her more, I also become her biggest cheerleader on a regular basis where I talk about how her love for people, her compassion for children, all of these things change and transform me. And what would it look like if we lived that way in our Christian faith? We entered into a relationship with God, confessing, God, we don't have you all figured out. We don't understand everything about you. But God, we're willing to walk and grow in relationship. And as we grow in that relationship, we continue to be God's biggest cheerleaders, proclaiming of his love, grace, mercy, and good news for all people. Because as we shared last week, if it's only good news for some people, and that's not the gospel, because God came, lived, and died for all people, that all may know his goodness and grace and mercy, that all may be welcomed in to the family. And so when we withhold grace, what we are confessing is this, that we don't understand grace at all, because none of us are worthy of it, but it is extended to each and every one of us how selfish do we have to be to say it's just for us? My challenge, my hope, is that we as a church will become a graceful church. And I don't mean that we can walk out of this place with books on our head and not trip and fall. Because we're going to trip and fall. But that when we trip and fall, we will extend care and compassion to each other. We will extend care and compassion to this world that may miss the mark, that may fall short, that may not live into what we deem a Christian life to be, but that we would continue to share God's grace, mercy, and love with them as well. But heaven forbid we'd be the church. This is the challenge. This is what Paul is, is calling Peter on the carpet about. And this is what, as he goes through this letter to the Galatians, what he's going to continue to harp on is this idea that for so many reasons, we find reasons to divide ourselves from one another, but what we are called to do is be unified in God's grace, which is sufficient for all people in all places at all times. Period.